Welcome to the How to Build a Parachute podcast. For those of you that have taken the jump, but are not quite sure how you're going to nail that landing. Does adventure, content creation, travel, nature, and the beauty of your own country appeal to you? Then today's chat with Nicole Eddy is definitely one you must stick around for. After studying a wide range of courses at university, Nicole decided to give a career in YouTube and vlogging a try. Nicole had spent some time traveling with other content creators and had picked up some valuable lessons that allowed her to pursue vlogging and content creation of her own. Nicole has since amassed a following of 76,000 subscribers on YouTube and 120,000 on Instagram. She shares her journey, important tips and tricks, and some important advice both technically and in a personal capacity for anyone wanting to get started in the YouTube world. We chat about nature, making an impact, and doing what you can to make a difference in keeping this planet healthy and beautiful. I hope you enjoy. We shall not dwell. We, no. <laughs> we digress. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me to chat today. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I was super pumped when you said yes. I was like, oh, flip, I'm pretty nervous. I hope you say yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought it'd be great to sort of hear your point of view. Because I know I chatted to Matt, Slice of Matt last week. And obviously oh, you nice. guys are good mates. And yeah just with regards to like the whole shift i do think people are trying to get you know um financially secure from a point of view of like moving into an online space and i do think yeah. like the idea of um youtube and instagram is semi like taboo for a lot of people it's like well that can't really be a real job and stuff for sure and that's why i thought i'd hit you guys up and just see how things operate for you i mean how yeah. long have you been in this in this sort of game for so uh, pretty much since 2016, I'd say, or 20, yeah, 2016, I think, was the first year that I went full-time. Um, and I was lucky because I kind of had an audience on my YouTube channel before I even had put my first, um, my first video out. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, obviously that, that counts a lot in your favor. Um, and definitely the first year was tricky. You know, you kind of, and I think it always remains a little bit tricky just in terms of um, income and stuff. But, you know, you you don't rely on a monthly salary. It's kind of one campaign to the next. Um, and that doesn't really change no matter whether you're starting out or, you know, how far, however far you are along in this journey. But, yeah, I'd say three, like, proper full-time years. Yeah. And what were you doing before that? So I actually went straight from studying. I did a undergrad at UCT. Okay. And I just did a whole mishmash of stuff. I had no idea what I, when I left school, I was completely undecided of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I think like, like a lot of people out there, um, decided to go to England on a gap year. And I worked, uh, at a, at a junior school there. I was doing sports coaching and we were head of their boarding house and stuff. Um, and yeah, I thought, oh, okay, cool. Maybe this year will help me clarify what I want to study next year because I had this year off and then I was going to university the following year mm. um, and wow that just made me so much more confused I think the more that I saw of the world and like the more that I saw was out there and the more it opened my eyes I was just like yo the options are actually you know kind of endless um, and I was just going full circle trying to decide and my parents were skyping in like we need to get applications into UGT like have you decided I was like no I don't know what I want to do <laughs> Um, so yeah, ended up just doing a Bachelor of Social Science for my undergrad and specialized or majored in psychology, 
environmental and geographical sciences and dabbled in film and media. Cool. And it That's was pretty, quite a wide range of it's stuff. Such a wide variety. And it was all stuff that I was really interested in. Mm. Um, you know, the psychology was a lot of biology, which I absolutely loved at school. And I, yeah, I really loved psychology, but knew I never wanted to become a psychologist. Mm. Um, and at this point, social media and the online world, especially in South Africa, wasn't really a thing. Like it hadn't taken off yet at all, actually. Um, it was still relatively unknown and to myself I thought it wasn't even an option on the table um, and then yeah I finished three years at UCT um, and by that stage I had kind of accumulated a bit of an audience through my ex-boyfriend who was doing daily YouTube videos at the time mm. um, Ben and yeah I mean that was obviously amazing um, and I was in all of these videos so I kind of had built up an audience without having to do much and was in a lucky position. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd kind of do a, another year of postgrad. And I did that at Vega. And I sure. did brand. <laughs> it gets more wild. Uh, yeah, so I did a, a brand uh, leadership postgrad degree. But it was actually kind of cool because it tied things together. Mm. Um, you know, the marketing world is so varied that whatever you studied for your undergrad you can kind of pull things together through marketing you know yeah um and i really enjoyed that as well and then there was a toss-up when i finished um when i finished vega you know whether to go full-time into the into a branding agency in cape town um or to kind of just take a, a risky year and see how it pans out and i'd luckily during my during my year at vega i had a couple of campaigns came th come through and you know, a few brands were interested in working with me, which was positive and more than I could have ever wished for at that time. Um, so, so you started doing YouTube videos on your independently then, like but part-time and uploading. When you say campaigns, what do you, what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, so at this stage, it was mainly Instagram, just random bits and bobs. I think my first campaign was actually a Budweiser campaign. And that was the first time that a brand had offered to pay me in exchange for posting on my, my Instagram um what was your following numbers at that stage oh my god i think it was it was probably around fifty thousand on instagram oh, okay so you really got quite a large following. yeah and then youtube wasn't a thing i hadn't actually put out a video yet on mm. youtube um but i know i had eight thousand subscribers at that time that's um, still a lot. wild <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know I, I almost felt like i i definitely didn't deserve it um almost wanted to tell people no unsubscribe you know you you don't you don't need to be here <laughs> um yeah and then made my my first youtube video um the that's i think it was one month after i graduated um landed quite a cool bmw campaign um and that kind of kick-started things yeah suppose you had a bit of a foot in the door i suppose you also realize sort of early on yeah you know the value of collaboration in this industry 100 percent. you know yeah. share, the sharing of eyeballs and the fact that like you know ben's audience may have seen you dig your vibe yeah. and just you know naturally followed yeah no i definitely don't want to make it sound sweeter than what it was it was a hundred percent you know i was getting followers pushed to me every day we were doing adventures together and yeah you know. but you must have had an appeal 
about you you know you would it's not if you were like super lame and like not an appealing person to follow like people obviously enjoyed you you know how you were on camera whatever your vibe and that's why they follow i mean i see a lot of people like on i I was watching Brody moss and he did a collab with this other youtuber and i thought he was so boring i was cringing i would never follow him so you obviously yeah the fact that you you know people gravitated towards you was a good indicator of kind of what you could do on your own you know I like to think that. I mean, initially, though, it's funny you say that because I was actually terrible on camera. Um, And I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that people wanted to watch someone's life online. Like, I I didn't quite understand that. I mean, you know, obviously there was reality TV and all of that. But I think because it was so new and I'd never been exposed to anything like this before. I just I could not understand the appeal. Mm. Um, And I didn't want to be, you know, I'm quite a private person. I'm not super out there and and yeah i i just wanted things to be private you know it was my private life and then slowly started changing my mindset and thoroughly enjoyed you know sharing my adventures with everyone so it, it kind of did a whole 180 which was kind of fun you know it was fun to watch the the progress or how that changed yeah because i mean i've spoken to kayla my girlfriend about it like, yeah oh, she's always quite hesitant to post a lot of stuff with you know her involved and whatever and i was like oh, she follows all these like uh, instagram like couples and whatever yeah she's like this would be so cool to do but i don't know if i'd want people to know my life so much when you started yeah. creating the content was it also probably quite nice that you could control it i suppose and kind of like ease into it as opposed to like here's everything in my life people can just you know because it is you are very exposed in social media yeah. everyone's just judging you as well that's the 100 percent. yeah um and i think also I, I am, I'm sensitive, so, you know, if, uh, and I've toughened up a lot. You kind of have to with, with YouTube and receiving comments and stuff. But I remember if I used to receive negative comments or negative feedback, I, it just used to spin me out for like the entire day, mm. um, you know, trying to understand why someone would say that. So, um, yeah, I, I think I did quite enjoy the balance between only putting stuff out that, not that I wanted to share and not that I wanted to sh- sugarcoat life but obviously you do put out you know your fun adventures as opposed to sitting at home working on your laptop yeah i've done Um, zero vlogging in my flat in lockdown so oh really no it's not really the greatest place to vlog so i can imagine no it's i've done a couple at home but it's the same thing i mean it's it's just cooking tutorials really i don't even cook (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so uh, yeah i definitely enjoyed being on my own schedule and choosing what i wanted to put out and usually that tied in with travel campaigns or trips or fun adventures locally or whatever it might be yeah because i wanted to ask so what was your vision when you started i mean Mm. you obviously i did look through it's it's very proudly africa which i do think is dope because also a lot of these things i mean especially from a south african point of view you look at a lot of the travel vlogs and it's like a lot of those things are very unattainable for a lot of people because if you don't have the right passport or whatever you can't get to Mm -hmm. all these beautiful places so yeah. was that part of your vision or what was your plan sort of when you started? So to be completely honest, Richard, I, I didn't have a plan and I didn't have a vision. I, I didn't know how long I was going to be doing it for. It was kind of something that just felt natural to do at the time mm. um, because I was fortunate enough to kind of be tagging along on a lot of really amazing adventures um, and we're going to awesome destinations. But at the same time, you know, tying into what you said about local travel, um, I think that perhaps goes back to my childhood where my dad and well, both my parents, I guess, just always took us when we were kids 
for, you know, on adventures, road trips, you know, all of our travels during school holidays was to national parks here in South Africa or weekend away up the coast or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think from that, I just grew a love for exploring our own backyard. And as you said, I think a lot of people put, especially in the travel side of things, put a lot of em emphasis on travel having to be overseas where, you know, in fact, it's kind of just get in from point A to point B, whether that's two hours away or a 20 hour flight away. Um, and it was just so accessible. I live up the West Coast, so, you know, a couple hours away, I got West Coast National Park, I've got Cedarburg. Um, we're so spoiled here in South Africa with a diverse landscape and there's always new places to find and share. Yeah, that's crazy. I was looking mm. at the, <clears throat> you guys went in silver mine and now it's like, it's pretty bleak that those sort of places aren't necessarily that safe anymore. I mean, that's yeah. three years ago. And now I remember when we were in Canberra to worse. like, yeah, it's like, please don't walk in groups of less than 10, which is staggering. Yeah. I don't know, bro. It's, it's um, even Table Mountain, I mean, I'm hesitant about. It's wild, dude. And those yeah. are the things that it's are sad. like, you know, draw people there. And the thing is, yeah. if, you're a, if you're a tourist and you don't know South Africa, you'd be like, oh, it's chilled, you know? Yeah. We had a, yeah. a mate's cousin was down from Australia and she she did like oh, the Skeleton Gorge, whatever, on her own mm, and was yeah. there for like two and a half hours on her own up Table Mountain. It's just wild. But I mean... yeah. I think it's so positive that you, you know, like, I think if we get into a negative mindset, you know, we can kind of spiral. But I was chatting when I spoke to Nick Hammond about it as well. He did this whole walk to Polakwani. And okay. I think it's just, he spoke about, you know, showing people the good in South Africa. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us to create, you know, content and environments where it's like, yo, dude, look, look at what we have and look how much we actually have to be grateful for. Because, you know, it's always, exactly. oh, this is wrong with it. This is not. But like... Yeah. This is not going well, but there are so many things that once you leave, you realize how beautiful and amazing the country is. I think that's it, right? As, yeah, as soon as you leave, I know if I've been away for longer than two weeks, I mean, you've been away for a long time now, but even when I'm on the plane ride back home, I can't wait to get home. Like I get so excited um, flying back in or, yeah. Um, I think it's also important to, to be aware of what's out there and to acknowledge it you know just to be mm -hmm. safe and not stupid when you are hiking or whatever um and it's always good to ask locals but yeah it is it, it is sad so what's the 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 link with your account and then i also so you've got africa unearthed what's that all about so last year or two years ago um a friend approached me and they were chatting about this um this travel company uh, and basically it's a tour operator so dealing with inbound clients um, and you essentially create itineraries for them so you connect with accommodation lodges and because I had quite a lot of experience of really cool trips to do both within South Africa and within the Western Cape um, I had such a lot of fun you know trying to rec recreate my trips for foreigners mm. and and kind of sharing the magic and the reasons why i love this place sharing it with other people and yeah we kind of started this thing together unfortunately that particular venture went a bit pear-shaped and towards the end of last year really wasn't done with that chapter and we had only just got into it um and decided no screw it i'm gonna you know start my own thing um 
I think it's got a lot of potential. I mean, tourism in Africa is, it's always going to be there. There's always a need for it, and, and people are always going to want to travel here. I think the continent of Africa so, holds such allure or mystery with a lot of foreigners, and they want to see what it's about. Um, so yeah, myself and uh, my boyfriend Blair and another friend of ours, Grant, we kind of clubbed together and we decided we're going to start this company called Africa on Earth, which essentially is an inbound tour operator. So customizing and tailor making itineraries, um, largely targeted at international uh, people coming, you know, on safari or exploring southern and east Africa, um, but also, you know, creating road trips for, for locals. Mm. Um, and that's been really fun because it's been, there's been a lot more structure to this. You know, I've, I've been, I'm accountable to two other people, which is great because I think working for yourself, you, when you're not accountable to anyone but yourself, it can become a bit tricky kind of sticking to deadlines and yeah. getting stuff done. And I've just really enjoyed the change of dynamic, uh, almost having more of like a, I don't know, nine to... Yeah, sorry, I don't know where you heard up until. Um... No, you were just talking about also the situation of enjoying it, the fact that you oh, yeah, have yeah. a nine to five. Yeah, more of a routine, a schedule as such. Yeah. So I was going to ask, like, how do you how do you operate as a you know, essentially self-employed content creator? Do you set deadlines? How do you decide on your content? I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. consistency is the most important thing with us. Um, how do you how do you plan these sort of things? Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because so many people will message me and say, you know, I, I really want to do YouTube or get into YouTube or social media. What advice do you have for someone trying to do it? And every time, because I learned from my mistakes that I continue to make, <laughs> but I just like consistency is such an important thing. And um, since the beginning of lockdown, I've been pretty consistent with uploading new videos and creating uh, content and uploading on pretty much a weekly schedule nowadays. Whereas before it was, I, I mean, I had no timeline. I'm actually the worst YouTuber in the world. I had like no timeline at all. I filmed when I was doing something cool and I'd always, you know, try plan to at least do something fun or adventurous. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I was probably uploading before this on average once a month. Okay. Um, so it's kind of all over the place but as soon as you're consistent you can just see growth in like numbers and people's audience like you know people are more interested in you and i get someone once explained it to me you almost have to view yourself as being someone's coffee date like once a week yeah. um you know they rely on not that they rely on it but if you promise someone that you're going to see them once a week you, they can kind of catch up with all of your news and be involved in your life to some extent and you can grow your friendship. Um, whereas, you know, if you're flaky and you seeing them once a month, but promising, you know, to see them three times Cla a classic month. Classic Cape which, Town. <laughs> exactly. I fit the mold, damn it. Um, but yeah, it's working for yourself. Is, it's definitely a, a double-edged sword. Um, you know, it's incredible because you're on your own schedule. And I think particularly with my work, I'm lucky because the more adventures that I have, the Almost. more work you've done essentially exactly the better the content and the more my audience enjoy watching it which is you know it's a win-win yeah. um and i can also afford to take a day off if something pops up 
um, or delay deadlines if, if it's not for a brand, if it's just for myself. And yeah, but the, the biggest challenge is trying to stay motivated and create consistent content. Yeah. So with, with the you talk about like um, working with brands and stuff. Yeah. Um, obviously, you said your first one was Budweiser. Who who do you associate yourself with now? Obviously, because if you're more in the con well, not necessarily conservation, but more in the nature space and making mm -hmm. people aware of the beauty of South Africa, what's who who are the the companies that you sort of align yourself with? Yeah. So, I try and keep sponsored content to a minimum on my channels, and only really work with brands that align with um, with myself and and my message and. You know, you also don't want to put too much sponsored stuff out there because it saturates your audience and mm -hmm. the brands that you partner with, you you know, I want my audience to know that I believe in the brand. Um, so, yeah, kind of chops and changes. Um, I've been working with a company called Squarespace, which isn't involved at all in the outdoor. Uh, the website sphere. design, yeah. Exactly, the website design. And I've designed my website on them while I'm busy. I'm in the process of doing that. Um, and it's been amazing because I'm on a, a monthly contract with them. So every month I'm contracted to create one sponsored video for them, um, which has actually been a lifesaver during this whole COVID. Yeah. Where like all my travel campaigns have been canceled. Um, but at the same time, they're such an awesome company and, and rad brand. Um, but yeah, typically, I mean, travel campaigns and brands in the travel side of things it's usually fleeting so it'll happen once and then you work with the brand and then you know you'll move on to the on to the next one um but yeah I definitely try and do i try and do as much research as i can about the brands and make sure that they're all ethical and mm. um kind of align with myself but yeah so that's the one of the pitfalls i suppose of being self-employed is it's just kind of just the insecurity i don't know what you would say to anyone who's starting out but yeah. just, you know, it's people look up at like self-employed and the freedom that you talk about, but there's a lot of like instability that comes with it that kind of the nine to five brings. I suppose that's probably why you've gravitated towards, you know, Africa and Earth Day. But yeah. how was that starting out? I suppose you're just out of school. So it's like, let me give this a dip, not out of school, exactly. out of varsity. Yeah. What made you want to uh, continue? Did you just see an increase in, in your following and stuff and thought, okay, cool, this is something I could do? Yeah, definitely. So my audience numbers were growing. Um, brands more were more interested in me. I was doing really fun campaigns, uh, you know, traveling and working with brands. Like I did a long campaign with Gore-Tex. Um, I did, yeah, I went to India with CNN. Yeah. Um, just a whole bunch of, yeah, really cool opportunities and doors that opened for me. Um, and I think also I... I absolutely, yeah, I mean, I, I really do love traveling and exploring um, and getting paid to travel and do something that you're passionate about is just the ultimate combination. So, mm. yeah, I mean, essentially I was getting paid to what felt like have the most amount of fun, something that I loved. And obviously there were obligations, you know, you, you create content and there's a lot of late nights trying to edit and get stuff done. But yeah, I, I loved it. Um, and then I started slowing down with posting and creating stuff. I think I went through these dips where I, I fell in and out of love with social media. Mm. Like sometimes, you know, it is quite an overwhelming place. And I think the more popular it's become and the more saturated it's become, um, you can obviously filter out what you want, what you want to see. But 
I just felt like there seemed to be a lot of negativity around social media. And as I said, you know, it's all dependent on who you follow. You can choose what you want to intake from it. Yeah. But yeah, I think I just went through these dips of wasn't really interested in putting my life out there and, you know, just wanted to keep some things. I just, I, I don't know. I think I just wanted to have a normal work schedule. Yeah. And it's then, very tiring. You feel like you, you know, they, the, your audience is holding you accountable every day. It's yeah. Like, and it's a, it's a bit of a gray area when your life is kind of, a, it belongs to them slightly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think I've got a little bit better with managing that, choosing what to share and what not to share. Um, also, I mean, Blair, my, my boyfriend, he, he's not involved in social media at all. I mean, good man. He just, I think he just knows like how Instagram DM works. Um, so <laughs> it's been almost, it's been really fun because when we go away, you know, I'll, I'll do my vlogs and stuff, but also we, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we just do together and have fun together mm. uh, that doesn't get documented and put online. So yeah, um, it's, it's been awesome finding that balance. Yeah. So you're not, you're not one of those people that are like at the end of the day, you're definitely not going to grab your phone and scroll through Instagram. No. Endless scroll. No. In fact, I've got way worse with Instagram. Um, I don't really go on it all that much anymore. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just such a strange world now that we've got, you know, so it much information. And it's tiring, bro. It is so it's, tiring looking through the stuff all the time. and It's endless scrolling. And also, people are only posting, you know, generally their good stuff. So yeah, it's the like, highlight reel. Yeah, dude. And it's comparison is often the thief of joy. So if you like sitting yeah. there saying, oh, you know, I've really eaten one too many chips <laughs> this lockdown. <laughs> and and of someone my life. else is like, oh, look how like lead that. <laughs> and that's all you see. But and then it kind of gets in your head. So I suppose yeah. learning how to vet it is a very good, good system so to have funny. in place. In the beginning of lockdown, we were lucky enough to. So we spent, I think it was the first five weeks on a um uh, Blair's family's got a an awesome spot oh, in no, the saw, game oh, reserve. God. Yeah, it was. We were so lucky, and uh, we were in a house. There were six of us all together, but the two girls we were with they are fitness instructors, like you know, really healthy. And it was awesome because I think if they weren't there, I would have been so lazy. So, yeah, the beginning of lockdown, we were doing these really awesome uh, exercises, and I was doing stuff I'd never done before. You know, often getting it wrong. Um, but just feeling so good and so healthy and then got home after our trip and just <laughs> completely related to what everyone was saying about their lockdown. I just started baking and just the exercise felt <laughs> through winter. <laughs> yeah, the chocolate banana bread. Winter was upon us. Oh. And then I was scrolling through Instagram because they carried on. Um, they went back home to Pretoria and carried on doing their fitness um, instructing and all of that. And they're making these awesome online videos, just lying on the couch, yeah. eating my like dinner, scrolling through like, oh, I really should have done something today. <laughs> oh, no, it's so dark. And you have a come down because you've just been in the bush and now you're like, oh, I'm back in the yeah, city. Exactly. It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> and the snacks are so close all the time. You know, it's They're not so like you close. go anywhere. I'd love to see what the, the world trend for BMI has been. Over yeah, the last, exactly. Like, two months. Oh, a wow. definite increase. And the fridge, I mean, you know, we planned our days around food. It was crazy. It's literally it was the highlights of the day. Yeah. And Blair and I were actually talking about the other day. Um, instead of just making a quick meal for dinner, 
you would put thought and which is really cool but you'd mm. put a lot of thought and like extra ingredients and you'd kind of maybe google a fun new recipe but that fun new recipe often involved like pretty bad stuff mm. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I think it gave a lot of people a lot of perspective though you know we've had to yeah. reevaluate sort of where we're going and stuff i wanted to ask you because you essentially are an influence would you would you uh qualify yourself as an influencer would you call yourself that i think so i do battle uh, i don't like the term but mm. i mean i think yes i would consider myself to be a social media influencer yeah like literally you are influencing people with everything you put out is that quite a yeah. hard thing to juggle when you when you think of the content you create or is it just because it's coming from a genuine place that it sort of comes naturally i think both um but yeah to be completely honest I do put out stuff that I am genuinely interested in. Mm. Um, the only thing that I, I often admit is my swearing. Um, That's a tricky <laughs> one to chuckle. <laughs> try try cut that out when I'm filming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, honestly, it's just it's stuff that I enjoy, stuff and things that I want people to see. And luckily, that often has a positive message. Whether that's encouraging people to explore outdoors and to encourage people to not only yeah to perhaps explore their own backyards rather mm. um yeah so i think it, it definitely does come from a genuine place and and a place of love uh, especially when exploring my own backyard i just i really love sharing those adventures i've got a yeah on this we did the sarangis Corp hike which is an incredible uh, they call it the kilimanjaro of the western cape and it's this pretty grueling two-day hike and there's overnight huts on top and yeah. we luckily managed to to get some snow over the weekend but yeah i filmed the whole thing and just have such a fun time editing and putting that out there and watching like responses flood in um and my audience is so rad as well like typically it's only good comments on youtube and just everyone having a good time so yeah luckily the message is always positive and it comes from a, a good place i hope yeah, they say if you're making genuine, authentic content, like your audience are going to be, you know, like-minded people, you know, people exactly. of the same sort of ilk as you. Your, your vibe attracts your tribe. Yeah, exactly. And they say like, I'm reading a book about social media marketing, whatever, and it says mm. that you should value your your current followers over getting new followers a thousandfold, you know, so yeah. never worry about getting that one extra follow or whatever, and just put all the value into the guys who are already following you. And that's how you know, you grow and your community is just, you know, strengthens like that. Exactly. I mean, sometimes I'll get a comment on a video from someone that I haven't really heard because often it's the same people that comment uh, on my YouTube videos and occasionally there'll be one from someone new or a name that I don't recognize and it'll be, you know, I'm so stoked that I'm still subscribed. I've been here since video one. Sure. Um, and it's amazing. I mean, I don't know why they've stayed because I've been so inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> so they deserve a medal or something. But it's so uh, rewarding hearing feedback like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I think it's epic though as well. I mean, if you look, you've got like 120,000 followers on Instagram and like with 76,000 subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. You can really make a difference, I suppose. Yeah. Like just shifting people's mindsets and how they view things. I mean, I don't know if you watch YBS, Young Bloods with Brody Moss. Um, no. I've heard of it. Oh, dude, it. you have to watch it. You'll love it. Um, really? It's like it's getting us through this very dark summer in England. <laughs> um, but it's a dude who lives in Australia and he's always on the beach and stuff. And he speaks a lot yeah. about litter 
and yeah. just creating awareness around that do you feel like ties to any any sort of movements like that to get people aware of the things that they can do in their capacity because i did see you posting on instagram just about like mm-hmm. beach cleanups and stuff like that yeah definitely um i think because my so growing up on the coast i've always uh, surfed and loved being in the ocean uh yeah and i think my dad and brother kind of instilled that in me from a young age they always surfed and i always wanted to be part of the gang um so you know there's nothing more disheartening than sitting out there and a piece of rubbish floats past you i mean it's the surface feeling you just feel dirty and and disappointed Mm. um and often it's very in cape town it's dependent on our wind direction and sometimes if there's heavy swell but um in summer when the i think it's the northeasterly wind blows on our atlantic side here it kind of brings in all of the crap from the harbor Mm. um and often our beaches where the high tide line is is just filled with those microplastics almost to the point where you feel so helpless picking up the plastic because it's just endless um and i think seeing that firsthand and seeing your playground tainted by literal rubbish and crap um yeah there's if you don't feel an obligation to protect that i think there's something a little bit wrong so yeah i think for me definitely oceans and and beach cleanups and and wildlife as well i spend a lot of time you know fortunate to spend a lot of time in the bush um and just protection of wildlife and conservation and acknowledging people who are doing really cool work all the time um is important yeah yeah, I just think because we're so short-sighted with a lot of that stuff, you know. I feel I, like, I don't know why, I've, I've watched, you, you see a lot of footage about like, you know, the the tops of like a, a case of beer that get trapped around like a turtle's neck and mm. the kind of things that these happen all the time. And we don't see it because, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You chuck stuff away, it gets chucked into the ocean and then what, you know? Yeah. It's our playground if we're surfing, but it's their home, you know, that's where exactly. they live. And it's just like, how do we get into the minds of, millions of people i don't know i think it's, it's got to start you know it starts one person at a time so as you say you just got to yeah. like when you're on the beach pick up stuff just pick up as much litter as you can and just do that exactly stuff. even if it's one item on your on your beach walk but the other problem is and i think humans you know i'm exactly the same but if something doesn't affect us directly mm. we often tend to care less about it so it's all fair and well seeing it on social media, but if it actually has no impact in your life and doesn't affect you, we, we are lazy yeah. beings at the best of times. You know, we're not going to go out of our way and, and do a beach cleanup if we hate the beach or, you know, can't stand the ocean. So it's also tricky to try and get people involved or concerned about something that they might not have a natural inclination towards or interest in. Yeah, and it will impact them. It's just going to impact in like a few, yeah. like, you know, few years you know, like 100 years time it's going to be a very different place if you don't get our shit together exactly which is wild they're like rhinos as we talk about nature conservation you know yeah. that whole situation is just staggering and and you know it kind of pops up in the news and then you know goes off the boil we don't hear about it for a while but it still happens exactly you know, have you done any conservation with rhinos or anything like that yes yeah um we used to do in the kruger national park I think it was down south, the sand parks and honorary rangers used to organize um, this really cool, it was a dehorning project. Oh, I think yeah. they've now actually renamed it to, to horn trimming because they don't remove the horn. They just, uh, they trim it down to where the, the I 
oh, the growth plate, so it allows it to grow back. Um, and it was luckily involved in a lot of, I think we did two rhino darting and um, tagging um, and horn trimming there, which was amazing. And then last year was also involved in another horn trimming at another place. Um, yeah, so very fortunate to, to have been up close and personal with them and see how that whole process works. And also, yeah, also to see how many people are out there all the time just not getting credit for doing incredible yeah. work behind the scenes 24-7. I mean, these guys who are in conservation and anti-poaching units, it's a thankless job. It's grueling. The conditions are crap. Like, you know, your pay is terrible. Um, it's often just done out of complete love for the, for the animal. Yeah. So hectic. Bro. Have you done white rhino out of interest? Uh, Umphalozi. I actually did that at school. It was a... Um, <laughs> did you also do the trip? Yeah, did yeah. you guys also? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was pretty standard here. Yeah, yeah but, but I dude, loved that. Literally one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. Genuine. Did you How do the little solitude thing? What, the, the night like, watch? Well, no. Uh, you know, like just before dinner or is it after dinner, you take a coffee and then we have to like... They make you sit like 50 meters apart and just look out at the river and sit on your own with your thoughts. Do you guys ever I, do that? I actually can't remember. It seems, it sounds familiar, but I can't, yeah, I can't picture it off. You can imagine like a bunch of girls trying to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although like dudes, it's, a little, it's not, a, not much better. And, <laughs> yeah, true. But I mean, yeah, we got, we got deep into the philosophical game. They're sitting there, you know, contemplating yeah. life, but it does put things into perspective. Probably Definitely. my best trip I've ever done. It was incredible. Yeah. We had to do night watch. Dude. So everyone took a turn. But sure, that was hairy stuff. Stressful. And you can yeah. hear the lions and the hyenas like not far away. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm very yeah. clumsy. I must be honest. Like I'm, yeah, like it's like stealth no, is I... not my strong suit. <laughs> and I was doing night watch or whatever. And, I was, you know, you have to little tripod and you got your little pot yeah. there. And um, I was adjusting the coals and I put another... Um, log on the fire and i bumped it and obviously everyone's fast asleep and yeah. this tripod and the pot kind of like <laughs> slip and obviously like your first instinct is to grab it yeah. so i just grabbed this tripod thing and oh i my massacred goodness. my hand and i was like it's like trying to not like scream in the middle of the night to track just the lines it. wake everyone up so i was like oh it's fine i, I picked up a <laughs> a cloth that was there and they burnt my hand again and it was just pandemonium but you learn a lot about yourself when you're sitting yeah. in the middle of the night in the dark exactly. and you have no idea what time it is and there yeah. are lines and you know a couple hundred meters away but it's so beautiful dude it was lots of fun the thing is at night as well particularly in the bush little things sound so big i mean it can be the smallest like bird or whatever or nocturnal insect scruffling on a leaf next to you and you like your first thought is yeah that's definitely lion for mm. sure like no doubt about it mm. um but it was an amazing experience i loved it and there's something also so great about walking from destination a to destination b like using your legs and your own power to get from one place to the next and carrying like heavy packs and yeah yeah just back to basics it feels like you're part of you know nature like we did kruger a couple of years ago and it's like yeah it's a bit strange you know you like find a leopard in your car and then your view gets blocked by like a Mercedes. Yeah. You know, whereas <laughs> if you're walking on foot in a group of eight with two rifles between you and you walk around a corner and you're like downwind of a black rhino, it's like, yeah, 
okay, don't move. And it's just a completely, you feel so much more one with, you know, the environment and nature and the animals. I think it gives you so much more respect for them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and one, but also, I mean, not, not meant in a negative way, but below, or, you know, you know, your oh, place yeah. on the food chain. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas if you're in a vehicle, I think you always have a, a false sense of security and you can maybe be a little, you know, if there's an elephant in front of you and you need to get past, you can kind of make your way past. But if you're on foot, it's a whole nother story. Yeah. It's just humbling and it teaches you respect. I mean, I was watching again, this Brady Moss dude and he was like, yeah. people want to kill sharks because they feel like sharks are, you know, these vicious killers and that's all they do. But if you swim with a shark, you understand that you're not really you know pray for them you're not a food source for them generally and if there are encounters where you're in their environment and they do bite you it's you know more inquisitive and it's he said it's just about spreading awareness because i think as you say like also with the whole conservation with the whole litter thing when people are aware of it hopefully then they start making more of a difference but if it doesn't affect them directly it's like how do you get them there you know what i mean so exactly um my brother actually went free diving with sharks he was, I don't know, he was busy shooting somewhere up the East Coast. And on one of their off days, uh, they had organized a shark dive. But it was with uh, tiger sharks, which was crazy to me. I mean, I also you know, thought those are wild, but apparently that you can swim with them. Yeah, apparently they're super chill. And I asked him about it because I had done a pelagic shark dive a few years back before that and completely freaked out. Um, really dislike the experience not due to the sharks i think due to my own fears mm. and misunderstanding them um and he said no it was the best thing ever they were super chilled kind of you know very inquisitive but not in a not in a fearful way he wasn't you know fearing for his life at any point yeah um and he said it was so cool to see them i think when you're underwater as well on their level it's a whole nother oh. a whole nother story it's like snorkeling though it's so beautiful you know yeah the only thing I don't like about that is that you're floating on top. Oh, and they look up and then, whoop, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's how they hunt yeah. from below. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to go snorkeling with bull sharks, though. I suppose if, if people say no. tiger sharks are fine, cool. But I mean, yeah, even being up like Breda River and you hear about yeah. those bull sharks up there, it's pretty scary. I mean, outside, yeah, I mean, our mutual friend's house, then oh. they find the biggest bull shark. No, thanks. No, thanks. Yeah. And then you were like, when I went with Cameron, we were up the Breda and we rented the <laughs> house from a dude and we went fishing. We were like, oh, cool. Cam caught a couple of like grunts. We were like, this is great. Went back, told the owner and yeah. he was like, where were you guys doing this? And we're like, we told him the spot. And he was like, dude, literally like a month previously, they were fishing there and like an eight foot bull shark or something smashed their line. That's and it, we were up to our chest. And you don't know. There's been know? a couple of videos on that. Um, of the bull shark smashing fishing lines. No, I know. And uh, Jeremy Wade from uh, River Monsters was there and he caught like one of the biggest. It's, But you don't think about it. And you think, ah, yeah, you know, it doesn't all. feel like there's, you know, one apex predator like looming at your feet. But it's literally 30Ks upstream. Yeah, no, no thanks. It's crazy. But I, yeah, again, it's getting your mind around the thing. You can't see it. You're not really aware of it. It doesn't feel like a place yeah. that where a shark would be. You know, you, you go into the bush, you think, hmm, I feel like a lion could chow me now. That's understandable. But you kind exactly. of, you know, in a little little bay there, it should be fine. But it's it's not, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. Gives me the heebie-jeebies, dude. No, I know. I've, no. I've stopped swimming there. <laughs> I wanted to ask with your with your content creation. So if, if you have a, a budding YouTuber and you would say, okay, cool. 
you want to start vlogging what would you say go to wise with regards to like gear would you you don't need much what would you you know tips and tricks yeah. from nicole eddie <laughs> i think uh phones at the, i mean i've got the the iphone i think it's 11 i don't know what it is actually um even my iPhone before this, the cameras on these new phones are insane. Yeah. I mean, this is like a DSLR in this thing. It's crazy. So I don't even know I what that means. Like a, yeah, like Sorry. a digital. That's, that's cool. Right? That's so, so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think our, our phones are incredible and the audio is great on them. Um, you know, you can GoPros are, I've started vlogging on my GoPro again, mm. just cause it's so little and it, the, quality is amazing um and if you do want to spend more money i think yeah obviously you can get your your nicer cannons um with your flip out screens and all of that but i've always kind of vlogged on a cheapie i've i had an old sony i've always had hand-me-downs um which is great actually because i i'm like you i'm quite clumsy so it's a little bit risky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> giving me expensive stuff um but yeah, I've, I've logged on an old, I can't, I think it was a Sony A, I want to say A5300. And there was like an entry market or entry level Sony. Um, I mean, they all work fine. I kind of now switch between phone and GoPro, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't think it's necessary to fret over kind of or hyping yourself up to get insane equipment um, or, you know, crazy mics or anything. Mm. Um yeah, I just have my, my handheld camera, no mics, nothing like that. And then my, my tripod, which is quite nifty. Yeah. But yeah. And, I mean, when, and when you are filming, do you, because I was watching this, um, this little hike you did with Cameron, we weren't expecting yeah. that. And yeah. um, I saw you like walked past your camera. And like we picked up on a vlog we were watching the other day, the dude had sand on his feet when he was in the helicopter, but he hadn't got out yet. And then he landed and his camera was already on the sand yeah so do you stage that how much time do you have to put into like okay cool i want to film myself so it looks like you know you've got yeah. all these little cameras everywhere i think it depends how um in or how great you want your shot to look i do do that quite a bit particularly if you're on hikes just to try change the the angle and perspective because it can become a bit lame i think at least um you know i feel like people don't want to watch my face the whole time watching me hike on my feet mm. um so i do try set up a little tripod and then i mean i yeah i kind of slap it together honestly i don't have a storyboard i just go out and film whatever i can and it'll often be okay stop 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 here everyone just stop and then mm. quickly sprint like a couple of meters set up a camera push play and then just walk past and grab it as you're going so yeah. i don't yeah i try not waste too much time getting amazing shots you know my vlogs aren't they're certainly not a, a masterpiece in terms of cinematography. They're very informal, um, almost to the point where my dad took me aside the other day and he was like, you really have to start getting more stable shots. <laughs> I was like, okay, dad, <laughs> I will try. Noted. So now, yeah, when I talk to the camera, I now try like put it on a tripod or put it down because I am quite shaky at the best of times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it depends on your style and how you want your vlogs to come across. You know, people like Peter McKinnon um, and Maddie and, and all of those big guys, their shots, obviously, they, they always are so beautiful and, and cine cinematic. Yeah. Um, and they put a lot of thought into it. And I'm sure that they've got storyboards going into, their, into all of their videos. But 
yeah, mine's very slapdash and, and kind of just string it together. And the story often comes together when I'm editing, mm. which I think is probably not the way to do it, but it's just how I've always done it. Um. But I suppose, <laughs> it, again, it's your, it's the way, it, you know, it suits what you're doing. It would be strange, exactly. I think, if you were like, you know, curating a whole little, like orchestrating a little plan of like how you're going to do everything where it's, yeah. you know, very spontaneous, very chill. This is where we're going. This is what we're discovering. It's like even with you guys on this one I watch now, discovering the yeah. spiders and whatever and getting lost. It yeah. It kind of was a vibe, but it felt natural. You it's know? nothing you can plan for. Exactly. Yeah. I've, I've collaborated with my brother on a couple of videos because he's, um, he does like mainstream, you know, um, filming so he was involved in some commercials and series and stuff so our styles are very different uh, and he he shoots to edit so he's got like a full storyboard planned and obviously he has to because he's got a whole team and there's you know there's a whole process mm. but when we've done stuff together and I've asked for his help in shooting some of my uh, like branded content that you know has to be a bit nicer than my usual uh, put together vlogs it's so funny how he get he gets so frustrated with me because I kind of just don't have a plan. He's like, Nicole, you can't work like this. Like, you need to put a plan in place. I need to know what I'm shooting. Um, and often when the two of us are combined, it turns out so cool because there's this mixture of kind of off the cuff, unplanned shooting and, and styles, and then his you know more planned and curated shots and yeah. yeah. So it's, it's quite funny to see. I suppose if together. you can learn from him a little bit, then your dad would be. A little bit more satisfied with some still shots and then <laughs> together took all the boxes. Exactly. I think I need to start sending my dad a link beforehand. Yeah, saying, dad, is, just is for a good? stamp of approval before. <laughs> can, can I put it live? <laughs> it's the worst when your parents reprimand you, dude. I know. It's like, Every time. And he always has a problem with my color grade. I mean, I don't color grade my stuff. I put a, a, um, a lot on like kind of across the whole thing and if it's gopro i'll do something different because uh, the color on the gopro is a little bit different uh, to my usual camera and if there's a drone i might do something different for that but he gets so irritated as well he's like it's overexposed again <laughs> get it together <laughs> <laughs> i wanted pressure. to ask for for your post production what do you use yeah. what uh, programs i use adobe premiere pro for yeah for my video edits and then photos i use lightroom okay yeah. Yeah, because it is also another thing is everything's got to be thematic. Obviously, maybe you were straying from that, so your dad was stressing about that. But it is yeah. when you look at good pages, they do seem to be very uniform, and it looks like it all comes from the same place and the same vibe. Exactly, so. and that's definitely an aspect that I that I need to work on going forward. Mm. Um, because I think yeah, I can definitely improve in that, and I can also gain more skill in, in you know color grading. And as you say, just when someone watches your sometimes when you watch someone's video you know immediately that it's them because of the style the mm. grade the type of shots and i think it's quite cool to have that um it's like your signature connection exactly yeah and i feel at the moment mine yeah each video wildly varies yeah uh, from the previous but yeah lots to, lots to improve on which is fun I think it's going to be inspirational for people to listen to you though because you talk about coming from such a diverse education background and then diving headfirst into this you've kind of just been learning as you go i mean when you talk about learning about all these you know post effects and stuff yeah it's all self-taught eh? all self-taught yeah um when i created my first youtube video i i downloaded adobe premiere pro and i remember sitting at home i i'd never i mean i'd seen the program before 
but had never tackled it myself and just went through all of these YouTube tutorials. YouTube is such a nifty place for tutorials, Dude, actually. It's, it's going to be so the death insane. of tertiary education. 100%. It's got everything on there. You want to learn how to fix this problem on your car? YouTube it. Yeah. You want to learn how to edit? YouTube it. Um, and I did. I, I watched a whole bunch of editing tutorials on Adobe Premiere Pro, you know, beginner ones, basics, and spent two days fiddling around with the program um, and managed to learn how to edit the basic video. The thing with Premiere is it, it is so complex. I think there's always something to learn. Mm. You know, I haven't figured out the half of it, but it's yeah. also time and working out what your way is. You know, you talk about everyone having their own individual like yeah. vibe. I suppose that's just time behind it and messing around and you know combinations yeah. and effects and whatever, and then you get something that's oh that's pretty sweet, and then you just keep applying and exactly. you know, refining it. And shortcuts, shortcuts are your lifesaver on Premiere. It saves so much time. So if anyone's starting out and and wants one major tip, just get your shortcuts sorted on Premiere Pro. It'll save you so much time. You mean like your short keys or whatever, just to like exactly. change, yeah. To cut and to next frame and yeah. Noted. Okay, I'm gonna write like a little highlights for people if they're starting out and then you can take commission from them in the future on their videos. Thanks, Rich. There yeah. you go, no problem. And then I'll take commission on your commission because <laughs> geez, it's, it's been a long lockdown. <laughs> it has, you're right. <laughs> But thank you so much. I wanted to ask one more thing because yeah. I've, I've had an hour of your time. So I just want to no, say thank you so much. No, this has been fun. I've loved this. Yeah, it's lekker to chat. I mean, we are <laughs> saying to KP, we have like no one to engage with here. Like we like <laughs> locked in our flat. It's like, hey, how you doing? Cool, cool, cool. And then it's like, you know, FaceTime yeah. doesn't really cut it. So it's nice to yeah. chat to someone else. So that's why you've started a podcast. So you can it literally chat. was. I panicked. I'm like, I'm so lonely. <laughs> Yeah, I need a chat. I need to talk to people. Um, <laughs> if you had anybody coming, so if it was like a, a mate or friends from overseas and you said they had to do one one trip in South Africa, mm. what would you, what, what's the top of your list? Ooh. On the spot. On the spot, that's a tricky question. Um, I think the garden route. Nailed it. I think it's, it's so popular. It's uh, it's South Africa's most popular drive, but it is certainly popular for a reason. Mm. Um, I also love the East Coast. I mean, it, for me, it's warm water surfing. It's all right hand point breaks, most of it. And I'm natural footer, which is amazing. Um, just, yeah, the vegetation, the birds. It's, I love it. I absolutely love it, the climate. But then on the other hand, there's the Cedarburg. But Spoiled I'm going to say the garden. choice, right? dude. We are so It's such a place. joke that you can say those three different places in like, yeah. and they're not far from each other, dude. And they are wildly different. I know. That's the thing. You, you, your range of environments is a joke. Yeah. I don't know anywhere else in the world that really is that diverse. diverse. In such yeah. a short space of like time. Yeah. Yeah. Or distance rather. So basically you're saying people must just go to South Africa and just check it out because it's a fuck. That's you actually summed it up. Yeah. Really well as well. Yeah. Have you done Otter Trail? I just want to say before. I haven't done Otter Trail. Dude. But I would love to. I haven't done it either. Apparently it's also amazing, but that's obviously there's up a, a garden route and it's cool. There's a hectic waiting list for that. Really? Yeah. I think it's like a six month waiting list. Oh, I've got to do that, dude. There's another one called the Shipwreck Trail which um, I know Cameron spoke about it. It goes up the wild coast. I think it's like a six day thing, but it's so cool because you do 
um, it's along the beach and then you get to do kayaking you stay in tree houses oh. uh, really cool you do beach camping and these things are often way more affordable than like if you want to go you know somewhere lani or even yeah. going overseas you know and you get so much more i feel value for money doing yeah that stuff i think this lockdown will will definitely teach people or show people how much um they can do within their own respective countries especially here well yeah i think <laughs> south africa especially <laughs> there's yeah. so much about the uk uh, they do <laughs> got the lake district but apart from that yeah, yeah. that's about it yeah sweet dude yeah. nicole thank you so so much for for joining the podcast i was so stoked to talk to you today yeah thanks for having me yeah. and i'll be following you on social media following your youtube videos i'll be watching i'll probably try to get hold of your dad and like get some reviews say ask him what he yeah. thinks about your your editing just and your grading. have a look on my my uh my shakiness and color grading and then just let me know perfect i'll give you some updates and pointers yeah that'd All be right. great thanks rich legend <laughs> thank you so so much for your time have a great thanks day for having there. me thanks you too cheers bye thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the how to build a parachute podcast i hope you enjoyed this chat with nicole i think she's got an amazing outlook on life and her country in south africa and the beauty that africa holds and the fact that a lot of the time in your own backyard there's a lot of beauty to be taken in absorbed and appreciated and i think it's really cool to see how she operates with her youtube content her instagram content and that she's just truly her authentic self so hopefully she's inspired you today to pursue a career in this if it is something that appeals to you or even just change your outlook a little bit on the way you view your country and the beauty that is around you on a day-to-day -day basis. Thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.